0: Welcome back this evening as we continue through going through the gospel of Luke as we look at the good doctor's account of the life of Jesus we are in Luke chapter 11 uh, as we begin you'll want to turn there as you turn there I want to ask you a something to think about maybe just maybe I'll just say it The more I think about what we're going to talk about tonight, which is the subject of prayer, the more I am convinced that prayer has no power. That got your attention pretty quick, Sunday night crowd, you know. What I mean by that is sometimes we forget that between us and the Lord is an intermediary. Prayer is that connection. Prayer is the connection to the power. Prayer in and of itself does not have power. The danger in thinking that prayer alone has the power has bled over into our culture. Perhaps you'll see a post like this on social media. Someone will say, "I, for example... I have a job interview today, and if you're a praying person, I would appreciate your prayers, and if you're not a praying person, I would just appreciate your good thoughts and good vibes. You see what's happened there? The assumption is that somehow within us is the power to make things happen. Somehow within our mind, the ability to produce something and effect, and they equivocate Good thoughts and good vibes with prayer. That's dangerous. Because good thoughts and good vibes and prayer by itself is not what has the power. Prayer for Christians, for Christ followers, is the connection wire between us and the power. Now, I I live with this all the time. Because when I'm doing what I'm doing, I wear a wire. And that wire transmits sound electrical impulses down here. But if I simply... What did he just say? For those of you listening online to this, uh, (laughs) you should have just been here in person. I apologize. (laughs) You missed a good one. Everyone understands that. The wire does not have the power. The wire is what transmits the power. Prayer is what connects us. It is what transmits the power. So that's why prayer is more than just good thoughts. Prayer is more than just good vibes. It's more than just sort of connecting ethereally to some mystic power in the universe. Prayer is our connection to God. And God... God alone is where the power lies. Sometimes we get confused. We think the power is in the prayer. Or sometimes we think the power is in the pray-er. Because some people are very... Really, uh, Roy Helm did a great job tonight. He's a good prayer. He has a way of praying that's just simple, effective, to the point. But the power is not with Roy. And he absolutely understands that. And Evelyn is amening all the way. Jesus incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, did not have the same connection to God that he did pre-incarnate. In other words, in the spirit. When Jesus was there at the beginning of creation, and even before that, but when Jesus was there at the beginning with God and the spirit, the connection to God, the, 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 the God head, the, the trinity, was all one. Now, when he stepped into the flesh, Jesus was still God, but he had a separation between the flesh and the spirit. And so he needed the connection just as much as you and I do. That's why Jesus spent so much time in prayer, because he had to connect to his Father. And in the flesh, there's only one way to connect to the Father, and that's in prayer. Jesus often prayed, we're told in scriptures, many times. Not only told that he often prayed, but described how he prayed and when he prayed. He prayed so much that his disciples asked a question of him, and that's where we lead into our story tonight. Luke chapter eleven, one through thirteen. By now you are there. Luke eleven, one through thirteen. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your Give us today each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we for ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for uh, a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set him before him and he will answer him. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because of his, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise, or some translations say because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I counted about 15 times in the book of Luke where Jesus is praying or described as praying. It was clearly a part of who he was. But even with Jesus now, the prayer did not have the power The power was from the Father. It was the prayer that connected him. Uh, Rabbis in that day, often, I mean, there was more rabbis than just Jesus, and they had disciples, just like Jesus had disciples. And those rabbis would often ask their disciples to recite prayers, to recite well-known Jewish prayers, uh, prayers from the Scriptures. Jesus, it would not have been an unusual thing to model prayer and to ask his disciples to do the same. Now, if you notice, in the beginning of the story, the the disciples say, "Lord, teach us to pray," and and I think they're really asking, "Teach us how to pray." The the human, the the, the basic way of, of what's the right thing to say, and perhaps even the posture and uh, the the best way to say the things that need to be said. But but as I, I think about what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, what I call the Disciples' Prayer, is that Jesus pointed them to the why to pray. We focus on the how a lot. Jesus was wiser than us and them, and he understood that we, under, that we needed to know why. As we pray, more than how, may we seek to understand the why. And may we understand that. So the first thing we understand as we look at this prayer is that we pray to glorify God. When we connect to God, we are doing something that's so significant and so you're stepping into the presence of a holy creator. Almighty, all powerful, all truthful, all knowledge, all, you know, all, uh, everything that you understand in part, He is in full. As you connect, as you pray to Him, you're entering the holy presence of the Almighty. So we need to understand that it's necessary for us to understand that we, just like our teens this week, they are ascending. Meaning they are are going upward. And as they do, just as the Israelites ascended, as the commandments were given, as Moses ascended, as Abraham ascended up the mountain, usually before that happened, there was a command to consecrate yourselves. In other words, I'm a holy God. You're coming into a holy presence. You're unholy. You, you should set yourself apart. You, you don't act in the ways you might normally act. You set yourself apart because of who I am. And so when we come to God in prayer, we are seeking to first glorify him and acknowledge who he is. And that's so important to do. Psalm chapter 100. There are, of course, many psalms that we could look at, but Make a joyful noise to the earth. I'm sorry. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. I have on my desk. I'm pulling it up now because it's a good reminder. On the desk is a scripture card. And that scripture card is is a reminder to me when I get a little too caught up in Toby and a little too much in myself. Uh, And the scripture says very simply, the Lord is God. There is no other. Sometimes when I'm living my life, doing my thing, getting my sermon, doing church work and all of that, I I sort of just take the reins. And there's there must be a humility in prayer to understand, this is what Psalm 100 says, we acknowledge he's God first. We praise him as holy first. It, it's that adequate understanding that when that we have these two things that are connecting, there's one that has the power and one that does not. You're... Our battery goes dead and you have to jump it and you find someone who's graciously willing to bring their vehicle to you and you or they have the jumper cables and you connect them and you connect them in a certain order so that the power flows as it should from the one with power to the one without in that way we need to understand that when we pray Again, it's not just good thoughts. It's not just good vibes. It's connecting to a holy, high God whose reign and whose righteousness and whose holiness and whose majesty and whose power is far above our own. We can even, dare I say, do it haphazardly, and may we repent if we ever have. I have. But just to just think for a second, you step into the holy presence of God where the angels and the celestial beings surround him, where where those in his presence cry out praise to him constantly. That surrounding him are, well, let's just look what Isaiah saw. Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, which was saying something. If you understand the dimensions of the temple, temple, the temple was a place where you would go into, and it was just kind of that Sistine Chapel or those places that's just huge, and you're just the, 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 the vastness of it just causes you to jaw almost instantaneously, drop, to be caught, and just say, Wow, that was the kind of place the temple was. And Isaiah says it's the the very end of God's robe that completely fills that space. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. The seraphim didn't dare look at the holy God. With two, he covered his feet. With two he flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called the temple. Wow. God's. The train of of his robe fills that. And, And when the voices of those who adore God call out, their voices shake the very foundations of where they are. Isaiah's response to this is quite natural. Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts we need to absolutely get a sense of god's holiness and and in prayer bring ourselves to a state of reverence for his holiness but one thing that inhibits our prayers so much is our lack of acknowledgement and understanding of who God is. Even Jesus the Son begins by praying, Father, hallowed be your name. When we go to the end of the book, Revelation chapter four, this this virtually the same scene is described. Verses two through eleven, the, the, the at once, John here writing, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. And he appeared and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the, twen- on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. Four eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. The fourth like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Now we're brought back to Isaiah's picture. Are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night. Day and night. They never cease to say, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures... Give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you Lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The throne room of heaven must surely be a beautiful and indescribable place, though John and Isaiah did the best that they could. But the sense that I get in reading both of those descriptions is an absolute sense of holiness and reverence for the Lord God Almighty. And it brings me to... What I think the holiness of God should do, bring us to a place of fear. Holy fear, not human fear. The two are very different. But as we begin in prayer, we begin with that holy reverence toward a holy God, and we glorify who He is, and at the same time, we don't even have to acknowledge, we just know what Isaiah knew. Woe to me. I'm an I'm a unclean man, of unclean lips, of an unclean people, when I compare myself To the holiness of God, as Isaiah would later say, I am but filthy rags in his presence. That's who we pray to. That's where the power is. The second reason we pray is so that we pray for what we need. Give us each day our daily bread. We're back now in Luke 11. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Why do we ask God for what we need? Because it shows that we trust him to provide what we need. Uh, the, the phrase, give us our daily bread, is a reminder, a harkening back to a couple of things in Israel's history. The first, of course, being that, that the provision in the desert And they would say, it was Moses who gave us manna in the desert. No, it was not Moses. No, it was God. It was that same God who gave them that bread, that manna, that holy carbohydrate, and brought it every day except when they were told to not partake of it. And then they gave him even enough extra. In that incident, in that story, in that part of their story, God was the source of the food. God was the source of what they needed every day. And you remember that God said, don't take any extra. Don't hoard it up. Don't, don't worry about that. I'll provide for you. I will provide for you for the next day and the next. Get what you need for today, for you and your family. And when you do that, it requires a great deal of trust. Human nature is, well, if, you know, when I begin to see the things that I need, then, uh, well, I, 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 I read the story of a, a Brinks armored truck that was going down the highway. This was pretty recently. And as it went down this highway, I think it was in North Carolina, uh, somehow uh, the door either broke or the latch broke or something, but it, it let out one of the cases of money. So it hit and it crashed. And it rolled because it was moving along down the road, and it rolled for a significant distance, and and spilling out all of the contents, all of the cash and the coin. And there, so so there was a, this video within the story uh, of uh, of someone driving along the highway, and what was along the side of the highway? Car after car after car after car of people who realized what had happened, and they were stopping to get the money because right, everyone needs money. But they were they were just that feverish pitch to, hey, here's what I need, let me just get as much as I can, all right? I illustrate that to say, when it illustrates our human nature, when we ask God to give us our daily bread, what we're asking of him is to provide that which we need for today, and we thereby show our trust in him for today. Not tomorrow, not the, not the time beyond, but, but God's going to be the source of all we need. He was yesterday. He is today, he will be tomorrow, he'll be through this week. You know, he'll, be, he'll be the source of what you need. When you get the pink slip, God will be the source of what you need. When the market crashes, God will be the source of what you need. When the doctor gives you terrible news, God will be there for what you need today. So we trust him, and we trust him again and again and again. When you pray for what you need, a you, you couple things, you realize you truly need very little. And number two, you realize that everything you need comes from his hand. <clears throat> God alone satisfies the need of everything that we have, but especially the soul. He is the source of all sustenance, both physical and... And eternal. As we pray, Jesus calls us to have a certain attitude of the heart, and he he gets to this now. As we move now from the need of daily bread and forgiveness and forgiving others into an attitude of prayer, and that is that we should pray with boldness. Verse 5, and he said to him, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? You ever had that point where you had to be bold enough to ask someone late at night for something that you needed or at a very inconvenient time? Uh, We we had such a time at the Levering household. I remember it quite clearly. It was back in May uh, because the tornado sirens were going off. And as they were going off, there was a storm, and as that storm came down, there was rain, and there was hail, and it was quite windy. And as the Levering family is in the basement, huddled in the closet, waiting for what? We don't know. We're just waiting for the storm to pass. Tyler goes out, and he says, Uh, Dad, there was water coming in. We have a walkout basement, and there was water coming in our patio doors. And why was that? Well, the the hail that had just come through the storm had pl- clogged the drain, and so the little pit outside where the the, the doors of the walkout patio or the walkout uh, patio doors are, that little pit was filling with water. We were unaware until it began to creep inside. Instantly, we went to action and and got it all taken care of and removed the hail, and it drained fine and got the shop back and all of that. But. But but at that moment it was probably nine thirty ten o'clock at night, and um, I just in my own mind said, "I'm going to be up all night. Uh, I, you know, the water's in the carpet. I'm going to have to pull that up. I, I, it's wet. It's heavy. Uh, I'm going to have to drag it out one strip at a time, wheel it out to the curb." Uh, I just knew it was an all night ordeal. My wife, my wife, who in many ways is much wiser than her stubborn husband. Uh, simply put out a, a prayer request to our small group and said, hey, we've just been hit by the storm and the basement, and she sent a picture of it. And I mean, 20 minutes, my small group was, or many of them were, were in the basement, and they were helping. And two hours later, what would what I was pretty sure would take me all night and would rob me of sleep, Uh, two hours later, everyone had left, everything had been taken care of, that could have been taken care of in that night. Now, what did it take to make that happen? What did it take for that? I I mean, they had good hearts. They were willing to do it, all of that. But it never would have happened without the audacity of my sweet wife. She knew it was late. She knew they were probably having the same storm. The streets were flooding and all of that. But she did hear what the illustration that that Jesus gives of the man going to his friend at night, asking him for three loaves of bread because he's in a pinch. And what we see here is absolute audacity. It's late. It's interruptive. Okay. In this day, the houses were built. They were one room. It wasn't like everybody had their own bedroom like we have today. It was kind of one. There was one sleeping room. There was a bed, mom and dad, and then usually the kids were beside. So if he were to get up and, and, and light a candle and go across the room, it didn't just, wasn't just him now. It affected the whole family. And so he had a decision to make. Like Would he, would he, would he heed his friend's call? He would because of his audacity. It's late, it's interruptive, he's going to wake up the whole family, and yet the door is still opened because the man has the boldness to ask, and Jesus is telling us there's a lesson in there for us. I'm learning to be a little bit more bolder and more audacious in life, and it's surprising, it's really amazing what you can ask people for And you think, man, this is the world, and they think, sure. Three days before Father's Day, I'm preaching a Father's Day sermon, and I'm trying to think of a way that we can honor fathers. And, you know, Father's Day, and a lot of times, just kind of looked over. And we were even worse because we were doing a series on shepherds, which needed to be done, but... I felt like we were skipping past this very important day to honor God-fearing men who love their families. Like, what can we do? What can we do? And I thought, man, I remember at Mother's Day, I had this crazy thing where I was like, get them all Chick-fil-A gift cards. I thought, that would never. But then I was like, you know, I eat there a lot. and I, You know what? I'm just going to message I'm just going to do it. What's, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're not going to ban me from Chick-fil-A. I mean, watch the profits go down, right? So I just message her. Hey, I know this is late. I know this is last minute, and this is way over the top. But any chance that Chick-fil-A might be willing to donate 400 uh, cards for a free chicken sandwich? And I hover, and I think, whew, this is a... This is a pretty big ask here. (laughs) But be bold. Send. Close my app. A few hours later, open it up. Sure, we'd be glad to do that. Now, for those fathers who enjoyed a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich at some point since then, that only happened because I learned from my wife that there's power in being bold and just being willing to ask. It never would have happened if I didn't ask, right? This is exactly what Jesus says. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. And you say, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Well, you don't have, as James, the brother of Jesus, said, put it so eloquently. You do not have. Because you do not ask God. And it makes me cringe to think about how many, how many blessings God has waited to give us if we would only ask. But we don't ask. We don't ask, then how can he answer so many prayers are never answered because they're never uttered. We just keep that thought rolling around in our head, and we never connect it to where the power really is. May we persist in the act asking. And, and to be quite honest, it is pride that prevents prayer. It is that insistency that I'm going to do it on my own. And I I can do this. I can handle it. We can figure out something else. And if we would just ask our Father who loves us, and who has the ability to help us, though we may, though we pray boldly, may we always, always, always keep in mind that we should pray with humility. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish? Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's a reason I think he illustrates this with talking about fathers and children. His children are pretty humble, you know, they have to be. I realize you probably know some exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, children are pretty humble. And when fathers and mothers and their children come to them with those big eyes and, and really putting on the pressure say, Dad or Mom, do you think we could do this? Or do you think we or do you think I could have what what father or mother? does not desire to fulfill that wish. But something more is happening here. And C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I've always loved this quote, what child, what child dares to awaken the king and ask for a glass of water? No child, but the king's child. We, we require, and, and part of the asking is to humble ourselves like little children. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to humble ourselves and realize that the power is with the father, not with the child. That the ability to give lies with the father, not with the child. So ask, ask with boldness because your father loves you, and ask with humility, humbleness of spirit, Trusting in him, just like your own children trust you. My daughter, Grace, um, I affectionately call her the fish whisperer. The reason I call her that is because there's a little community pond um, in our neighborhood, and she asked if we could go fishing. My story on that is I, my dad took me fishing, and I think we went once, maybe twice. I Snoopy pole in hand, went to the pond, and I was all excited, right? And I cast out, and he showed me how to put the bait on, the bobber on. And I cast out, and I was so excited, I can still remember. And then came the waiting. And in what seemed like an eternity, probably was about four minutes, I completely lost all passion for fishing because... I couldn't wait for it. So I thought, well, Grace, this will happen to her. I, we go by the pole, we go get the little tackle box, we go out to the pond. And and why did I do that? Because I'm her father and I'm a lover. I, I, I love her as my daughter. And and I'm not perfect. In fact, Jesus said, I'm evil. I'm sinful just as you are. But I love my children enough that when they ask, I care for them and I do the very best I can to get them a fishing pole, even if I'm not a fisher. She's a fish whisperer because she had the opposite story of mine. That girl, every time she casts a pole, she brings it back with a fish, right? Every time she casts a line, she's bringing it back, you know? Anyway, she learned a lesson About the joy of fishing. See, fathers give good gifts to their children because they love them. Not because they're good, but because they love their children. And God not only loves us, but he is good and perfectly good. So, may we ask with the humility of a child who understands the difference between him and us. And we go to him and say, Father, this is what I need. And that's humility. Just as our children ask because they trust that we can provide, we ask God because we trust that he can provide, that if it's will, his will, he will provide, and he'll do it in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. We understand that. Now, does a father give a child everything they ask for? No. Good fathers do not will ruin your child to do that. You don't. You haven't. If you have children, haven't given your children everything that they wanted. And in those moments, why? Because you knew it wasn't good for them. You had something better in mind. You knew it would. Uh, it would. It, they would. It was not the right timing for it. I love what one person said about this. That. God answers our prayers exactly as we would answer them if we knew everything that he knows. and We don't. And so when God says no or wait, it doesn't mean you didn't ask right. And it doesn't mean that there's something in your right. It means God knows more than you do. And again, for the same reason that you ask him, you trust him, right? You, you ask because you trust he can do it. That's the exact same reason that when he answers no or wait, our, our answer is okay. Because I trust you. I trust in your, your love and your goodness. So, may we pray with boldness. May we pray with humility. And may we never give up. May we always persist in prayer. Easiest verse, one of the easier verses to remember, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray continually. Acknowledging God's glory, asking with boldness, asking for what we need, asking in humility. But may we keep on acknowledging God and seeking him. Pray with your heart, pray with your words, and pray with your mind engaged. It is really tough, um, very tough, to avoid what I call human cruise control where we just go on autopilot. It happens in worship. We're doing the thing, and we've done the thing before, and we know the thing, we know the time, and we just, our, our mind, there's something on the, on, on the level of our mind that says, oh, I've done this before, and so I don't have to pay as much attention. When you're learning to drive, remember when you were learning to drive? I remember learning to drive, and it was a very stressful and traumatic experience, and probably equally so for my father, who was teaching me to drive. My my hands were sweaty, my heart beat faster. It took longer for me to do simple things. But I've been driving for 25 years now. All of those things happen without thought. I get in the car and go somewhere, and I give no thought to it. And that's where the danger comes, is when you go on autopilot. The danger is, is, is there in prayer as well. Dedicated, devoted Christians say, I don't feel like my prayer life is as strong as it could be, probably because you're on autopilot. Probably because you're repeating words and phrases that you mean, but they, they've lost their meaning. <laughs> You've repeated them so often. And instead, I want to encourage you to use your words and your heart and speak from here as you would a child to his father. When you pray, go into the room, Jesus says, close the door, pray to your father who is in heaven. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Tonight, I'm, I'm not speaking to those who lead public prayers. I'm not speaking... Uh, specifically, as we pray as a congregation, that's necessary and always something we do. But I'm speaking to you in your prayer life. When you pray, close the door, reconnect with your Father, spend time with Him. That's what it's about. Acknowledging His glory, asking for what we need, asking for the things that we think we need with boldness and also humility to his will. Jesus prayed because he was pursuing his relationship with his father, and that's why we do it, to pursue the relationship. Don't misunderstand. (laughs) It's not the prayer that has the power. It's God that has the power. And it's in prayer where we reconnect with him. Tonight... I ask you, how is that relationship with your father? How long has it been since you've talked with your father? How long has it been since you genuinely, sincerely adored him, boldly asked him for something, prayed over the things you need, prayed even over the things you want, and prayed in humility? Don't give up in that. Your father loves you. He doesn't think less of you because you haven't talked to him in a while. I I don't know your situation. I don't know if any of you have estranged children that you no longer talk to. But do you still love them if you do? Yes, of course you do. You want to talk to them very much. You You want that relationship, that connection to be restored. So does your heavenly father. If you haven't talked to him in a while, I want to encourage you to do that tonight. Not necessarily in a public way, but I just want you to begin talking to your father. He misses you, and he'd like to hear from you. Not to earn your righteousness, not to make him love you anymore. He'll never love you any more than he does right now. But he just wants to hear from his child. Let me encourage you to do that tonight. Don't let don't let your head hit the pillow. Don't let your eyelids close before you reconnect with God. And then pursue that every day. Our relationship with God can only happen because of Jesus. He's the only way. If we don't have him, all of this, Jesus is the only way. And if you don't have Jesus tonight, uh, you need to have Jesus. More importantly, he needs to have you and so if you're ready to put him on in baptism if you're ready to begin journeying with him and obeying him and praying just like he prayed well we can help you with that too you can confess his name you can put him on in baptism and you can have a beautiful life changing relationship with your father with you prayed it where you pray to him not because prayer has power but because he does. If you have that need or any need and you'd like us to pray with you and for you, please respond now as we stand and sing. I'll meet you down.